unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And for the listeners only, they're going to have to go check out the YouTube channel because you got an awesome pinky in the brain hat on today. I love your pinky in the brain style. Thank you. Well, you know, it's early spring and this is my change of seasons pinky in the brain hat. Nice. I'm at a loss on how to segue into the show. You're the king of segues. So I'm going to give you an attempt to try and segue from that into this. Well, let me, let me say something. Testing. Testing makes a lot of money. And today's show is a new chapter in our old master series with wisdom from someone people I know knew and knew about. Brian Kurtz, for example, knew this guy, wrote an intro to his, this old master's book. And Denny Hatch, who's an old friend of mine um, and used to have a newsletter called Who's Mailing What? raved about this book. And we'll talk about the book in just a second. But first, I want to say this. One of the great things about the kind of copywriting we cover on this podcast is that unlike with a lot of other forms of advertising, with direct response advertising, you can measure sales results. You know, you can't accurately do that with a billboard or a Super Bowl ad. But as direct marketers, we determine our results through testing. And the king of testing, the dean of testing, is not as well known as famous copywriters who lived at the same and were at the top of their game at the same time he was. People like Gene Schwartz and David Ogilvy, they were very well known. This guy was just as important. He was just a little more in the background. His name was Dick Benson. And we're going to cover some of his best testing secrets today. But only after we cover this, copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and biz opportunity, you might want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Now, Dick Benson, back to the subject of our podcast today, he has an excellent book, Secrets of Successful Direct Mail. But lucky for you, I also had access to something besides the book, something I call the Private Direct Marketing Archive adjacent to Lincoln Center in New York City, also known as the PDFMAA. LCNYC. Others like myself who have had the privilege to visit this valuable resource in person also know it as Don Houtman's extensive custom-built filing system in his apartment in the West 60s. Nice. Don rated the archive for me in a systematic, organized way, and he FedExed about 10 articles and photocopy sets ranging from the 1996 obituary for Benson in the New York Times to a three-page spread in the broadsheet trade newspaper direct special to copywriters podcast 
Lots of information you won't find in the book or nearly anywhere else, but of course, you'll get the best of it here on this show. From all this research, one book, 10 supplementary pieces, I pulled out seven tips and rules on testing, each of which can make you extra money. Benson worked with many large publishers and even founded the first direct marketing ad agency in 1961. He was widely regarded as the authority on testing for decades. Now, at this point, you could say, I don't do direct mail. Postage stamps, commercial printers, mail carriers, they have nothing to do with my marketing. Or you could say, there's a tremendous amount of high-value battle-tested science accumulated from direct mail testing. I wonder what I could learn from it in 2021 that would supercharge my own online marketing. And yeah, you could say that. And it is from that point of view that we look at the brilliant discoveries of Dick Benson. So I'm going to give you seven tips and then we'll talk about each one. Uh, Test result tip number one, test packages from different writers. This, of course, is when you're doing a large ongoing campaign and you have a control. And sometimes somebody either to save money or because they like a writer or for a reason, I don't know, um, will ask a writer to try and beat their own control, not with a new lead, but with a completely new control. But what Benson says is you can't get two truly different packages from the same writer. They can't be different enough to provide meaningful test results. Benson said, spend the money to get the big names with the reputations. They're generally worth the money. For anyone who's really serious about testing, this is important advice. Recently, a very big direct marketer hired one of my clients to write a sales letter to beat the control written by another writer. So what we did is we looked at the existing control. We went over the strengths and weaknesses of the control, and I made a mental list of the strengths and weaknesses of my client, the writer, as a writer. What we ended up doing was sketching out a new sales letter where my client's strengths, we didn't really sketch out the headline and the, the, we we'd sketched out the concept, the strategy, the approach, the techniques where my client's strengths overcame the control writer's weaknesses. Now, if this rule about, you know, not using two writers to compare controls seems a little abstract or arbitrary to you. Let me explain why it's so important. No matter how much of a chameleon you might think you can be when you're writing copy, the reality is that you look at the world through a certain frame of reference. You may not even be consciously aware of it, but you do. And to be to control, you really need to provide or get copy written from a different frame of reference. Look at it this way. Suppose Let's take it out of copywriting for a second. Suppose two best-selling authors most everyone has heard of were both copywriters, and one of them had control. Why would you want to hire the other one to try and beat it? So let's say we're talking Stephen King and Lee Child. Lee Child has 25 books about the same character, Jack Reacher. Stephen King, uh, I'm sure you know some of his books, and he has many more than 25 books, I bet. Um, They're both great writers. But how are they different? Well, for one thing, Stephen King started out his freelance career as a short story writer, and his life has been punctuated by tragedy. Uh, In late February, when we're recording this, 
um, about a month ago after Tiger Woods' spectacular car crash. Stephen King wrote on Twitter, in 1999, I suffered serious leg injuries after being hit by a minivan while walking. Now I can play tennis and I walk three miles a day. Tiger can recover, but it's going to take time. It took me not five years to get back to 90%. So that's Stephen King. Um, okay, that's fine. Um, Lee Child, the other writer, the Jack Reacher guy, he has an undergraduate degree in law. And he started out as a team member of a TV drama company. So I know he's had a dramatic life, but I'm not aware of any personal tragedies. King is American. Child is a Brit, writing more like an American than most Americans do. King writes about all kinds of things. Child writes about the same character, Jack Reacher, over and over. So you can see how their frame of reference is bound to be different from one another's. And if they were your two copywriters, those frames of reference would inevitably lead to a different approach to copy, to selling the same thing. All right, let's jump to number two, test bonuses. Now, in his world, which is mostly magazines and info products at a very high level, Benson used the word premium instead of bonuses, but we'll use the word bonus here. Um, I'll even switch out the words so it's easier to understand. He said, Benson said, a strong bonus is the hardest to find. As an example, Benson told about a newsletter he was printing, the University of California Wellness Letter. He tested one bonus with their control. This bonus he tested with three things, their control, their runner-up control, and an offer to trial subscribers who hadn't actually put money down yet. The, the publishers are trying to get become full subscribers. So he tested this bonus across three lists. The bonus they tested was a self-risk assessment. Its purpose was to determine your so-called real age as opposed to your chronological age. And for all three tests, the bonus dropped conversions by 20%. Benson's conclusion, they didn't want to know. I want to add this. One thing I always thought about bonuses was shot down by something else Benson said. I always thought a bonus had to be an extension of the main thing that you're selling. taking the promise, or the results of your main offer to the next level. Not so, said Benson. The bonus doesn't need to be related to the main offer. The bonus simply needs to be something that the prospect wants, whether it's related to the core offer or not. I haven't tested this, but Benson did, so I'll take his word for it. Nathan, do you have thoughts about bonuses? I do. I have a friend who actually works in the auto sales industry. He sells cars for BMW and their local dealership as a bonus, they give away a bottle of wine to anybody who buys a car. And you would think uh, a bottle of wine and, and a car is probably not the best combination, <laughs> yeah. but their, their audience and, and a bottle of wine. I mean, Everybody thinks drunk driving and, and don't mix drinking with driving. Not everybody, but most rational people. Uh, but they found that giving away the bottle of wine was something that people really liked because their target market, a lot of them were like wine moms or uh, guys who enjoyed having a, a glass of wine on Fridays. And so it has nothing to do with driving. In fact, it should be completely separate from driving. Um, 
but it works great. It's one of the, it's one of the things that people really love. And, uh, they, they even give them the opportunity to choose. They have, I think six different, uh, variations of wine that they give away different. You can get red wine or you can get white, white wine. And they have a couple different years. And it's one of the things that people talk about when they walk away is that they got a free bottle of wine. And just like you said, it has nothing to do with upgrading or uh, it's, it's nothing that helps them get faster results. Um, in fact, it should be completely separate from the driving experience, but it's something that works like gangbusters. Yeah, that's, that's a great example. And I love what you said. That's something people talk about. They're not going to sell more cars for people talking about it, but they might get people in the door because other people are talking about it. Oh, really? Those guys give you a bottle of wine. I gotta, I want to see what they're doing, you know, and then you end up buying a Beamer from them. Yep, absolutely. I want to take a moment to point out how vitally important headlines are in copy. As you may already know, the strength of your headline accounts for up to 80 or even 90% of the effectiveness of your ad. Think about that. What if there were a way to shortcut the headline writing process and start a new headline based on a proven winner? Well, there is. It's all in my book called Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. This book is available now on Amazon.com. Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. What's unique about this book is it shows you exactly how to adapt a proven winner to your product or service. Because I show you 10 adaptations for each headline in different niches and explain the psychology of how to adapt a headline. Advertising headlines that make you rich in hard copy and Kindle formats on Amazon. Now, back to our show. So testing tip number three, use powerful copy to reach the whole market instead of niche targeting your copy for groups inside the market. Um, quoting Benson, your copy should be strong so that rather than writing copy for different targeted groups, the direct mail piece is effective for the whole list. Let's break this down because there's a lot more to it than meets the eye at first glance. What this is really about is rolling the dice, maybe a little too hard, rather than wringing your hands and being too careful and finicky. And it makes sense in a profound way. If the copywriter gives their all to one piece and doesn't worry about one segment of the market, will be more or less convinced the other, or this might trigger this segment, or that the force of the copywriter's argument will be more than making up for any lack of reaching out for a particular interest or concern of one type of prospect or another. Remember, this is not an opinion. This is Benson's conclusion based on extensive test results with big numbers. And it's along the same line as what my buddy John Carlton talks about when he and Gary Halbert used to write a sales letter together they would push way past the limits of what was legal and believable on their first draft to give the copy its maximum oomph. And then they just dial it back to this side of legal and believable before they actually used it. The energy you summon when you write that way makes for much more compelling copy, and it's relatively easy to dial it back. It's a lot harder to pump it up if you write weak copy or compromise copy or copy with one arm tied behind your back. Okay. So that's number three. Number four is a two-time buyer is twice as likely to buy as a one-time buyer. 
This isn't just playing with numbers. In the old days, a direct mail list of proven buyers was seen as much more valuable than a list of people who should be good prospects. For example, let's say you sell specialty specialized knives, hunting knives, fighting knives, uh, collector's knives, and someone who's bought a specialized knife from you once is much more likely to buy a second one than someone who's never bought a knife before, doesn't own any knives, but likes to post a lot of pictures of knives on social media. Now, this seems like common sense when you hear it, but how many marketers don't get back to their original buyers with a second good offer instead of just trying to get more first-time buyers? More than you would think. It also explains why affiliate offers work so well. They're already your customers, and when you offer them something from somebody else, it's almost like you're offering something of your own to them. Now, there are a lot more psychological reasons underneath all of this, but the easiest way to remember that a two-time buyer is twice as likely to buy as a one-time buyer is the old saying from direct marketers, which is ridiculously, deceptively simple, a buyer is a buyer is a buyer. I think the reason why two-time buyers are more likely to buy a one-time buyer is someone who bought and then maybe had a bad experience or said, this isn't for me. And they never became the second, the two-time buyer. But if somebody's bought twice, they liked what they got the first time. And they're much more likely to like what they're going to get the third time, the fourth time, and the fifth time. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, so I, I feel a little bit like today's edition of the Copywriters Podcast is Sesame Street. And we're going to feature the number two. Because test result tip number five is you can never sell two things at once. Trying to sell two things at once is a rookie mistake most people have made. Now, this does not mean that you can't have a good, better, best option when you have three versions of the same thing. That can work very well, whether three sizes or three versions, the same offer, different sets of bonuses, that can work. But you're still only selling one thing. And good copywriters have a rule called the law of one. In short, it means just sell one thing in your sales letter with one idea. It's the same idea. The key point here is once you start to split the focus of your prospect on two clearly different offers, you lose the sales momentum you would have had if you'd stuck in with just one thing. A more subtle thing that people might not realize to this is uh, I have a client that were recent, we were recently testing an audio book and they had it on two different platforms. They had it on Audible and then they had it on a, another kind of self-hosted platform that allowed them to collect emails from the people that bought it. So they wanted to try it there. The thing was when we were sending traffic to the Audible, we weren't selling people on Audible and the book. We were just selling them on the book because everybody, almost everybody already has Audible. But when we were sending them to the one where we could collect their emails, we had to sell them on Audible and we had to sell, or I mean, we had to sell them on the book and we had to sell them on the new platform, downloading a new app, learning a new app. And so we were in that aspect, we were also trying to sell two things at once and it, it uh, definitely showed in the cost per acquisition between the two platforms. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great real life example and, and a great way of, of pointing out also that 
he may have done this in the dark old days when, you know, dinosaurs roamed the earth and people still used direct mail, but still applies today. Okay, let's go to number six. Dollar for dollar, bonuses are better incentives than cash discounts. Footnote, with one exception, which we'll cover in tip number seven. But let's go to tip number six. Bonuses are better incentives than cash. This is this is something Benson determined through extensive testing. And there's another way to look at this, which is more strategic and intuitive. It comes to the same conclusion. Now, to be sure, some people are just cheap. But there are other people who will spend the big bucks to get something special, but they will still squeeze their pennies when it comes to buying commodities. So this leads to a copy strategy. If the best you can do is sell your offer as a commodity, then you'd better offer the lowest price you can handle because that's all your buyer will be interested in. But if you can provide and demonstrate unique value, which is what you want to do, then you can ask for and get a premium price. And to take value buyers over the edge and sweet talk them off the fence, then throw in the most appealing bonus you can come up with and then sell the hell out of whatever you're offering. And and one thing I wanted to bring up was a bonus that I used in the letter that made I wrote that made $40 million for Abacus Travel. The initial offer was to recently successful entrepreneurs, business owners, to give them a first-class vacation at a, you know, pennies on the dollar, champagne vacation at a beer bottle price. And just for meeting with my client, just for coming to the meeting, we offered them a box of Godiva chocolates. And everyone showed up for the chocolates. A lot of people signed up for their ongoing service, but nobody ever wanted the vacation. They came for the bonus and they signed up for life, <laughs> but they did not want the offer. That's interesting, huh? Okay, uh, test results tip number seven. And this is the exception to the last one. <laughs> In Benson's words, an exclusive reduced price to a house list will more than pay its way. In other words, what he's saying is a discount is a good promotion strategy for your existing buyers, your previous buyers. Once someone is a customer, they really appreciate being treated as special. And so you can throw the previous rule out the window as long as you're strategic about it. You don't have to use the exact words I'm going to use here, but a convenient way of thinking about reducing the price, maybe just one time, for existing customers is the same thing as offering a friends and family discount. Your customer will not see it as you cheapening the value of what you're offering. They will think of it more like a favor from a friend. Give me an example. Over the holidays, a client of mine who has already turned me into a loyal customer for his delicious probiotic powders offered a special discount on one of the supplements. I looked at it and I figured, hey, I'm going to buy it anyway, so why not get it cheaper? But it didn't turn into a commodity in my mind when I did this. Do you see the difference in psychology? 
I'm willing to pay the full price later. I'm paying it right now, but I really appreciated the holiday discount. Yeah. I think a real world example that a lot of people can relate to this is cable companies. Cable companies tend to do the opposite. And I think it's because they have a monopoly in most places. They don't have anybody competing with them uh, because they've worked out exclusive deals with the governments of particular areas or whatever. But cable companies will offer a discount to new customers that often causes bad will with their existing customers. Existing customers say, well, I've been with you for three years. Why can't I get that discount? And if cable companies had to compete like most other people do, I think that they'd be much better served by taking this advice. And I know a lot of people that have canceled their cable and just been like, I'll get it a month from now so I can get the reduced price or I'll figure out, I'll go to satellite or I'll go to something different uh, because of the fact that they don't realize how important it is to make your existing customers feel like you're going above and beyond for them. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I don't, I don't think cable companies are the most hated businesses in America, but they're right up there. They're close. They're, they're right up there with like the IRS and used car dealers. Okay. Um, well, we certainly um, covered the waterfront on, on this show, but let me uh, give you the summary of those seven tips and rules and discoveries from Dick Benson. Number one, test copy from different writers when you're testing controls. Two, test bonuses. Three, use powerful copy instead of nichifying your copy for different segments of your list. Use powerful copy overall for the whole list. Four, a two-time buyer is twice as likely to buy as a one-time buyer. Five, you can never sell two things at once. Six, dollar for dollar, bonuses are better incentives than cash discounts. And seven, the exception to number six is an exclusive reduced price to a house list of existing customers will more than pay its own way. So Dick Benson's book is called Secrets of Direct Mail. We put an Amazon link in the show notes, and that's what I got. Ah, uh, man. Again, you hit it out the ballpark with this episode and proved once again why this Old Master series is my favorite. The, every time you bring one of these, it's, it ends up being one of my favorite episodes and uh, my favorite series of the podcast. So thank you for that. If listeners want to get more, they can go to copywriterspodcast.com. And do we have anything else before we're out of here? Nope. That's it for now. Awesome. Until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This show was brought to you by the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.